Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is June 21st, 2021, and this is episode 322. My name is Jake English. And I'm Zach Wilt. That's right, Scott Magnus is a traveling man this week, and so, dear friend of the program, Zach Wilt has graciously offered to step in and class up the joint a bit. On this week's show, we'll... uh, well, we'll remember the good times, Zach and I, and we'll also go around the bases to see what was worth paying attention to this week in Orioles baseball. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right, it's time for the Drink of the Week. Zach, what is your Drink of the Week? Oh, thank you so much, Jake. Uh, being a guest on Bird's Eye View, I, I had to run out to Target to pick up uh, the traditional lager, uh, which is from a, a small company called Yingling Brewing. So that's what I'm drinking this evening for episode 322. Zach Wilt, as those of you who have been listening for some time will remember, started the Baltimore Sports Report Network, of which we were proud members back in, what, 2014? Yeah, let's go with that. That sounds right. Zach was with us for our 100th episode at Dempsey's. He was there with us for countless post-game live episodes. He put up with us, in other words, when we were our most obnoxious. So I appreciate him being here to make sure I behave myself while Scotty is away. It may take a few drinks of the week. (laughs) I myself am drinking a Hazy Cannon. It's the Hazy IPA offering from Heavy Seas. In full disclosure, I'm also working my way through a 12-plaque of Michelob Ultra, so uh, Scott, I apologize for the untapped check-ins that you'll see on the Twitter feed this week. Uh, not much I can do about that. <laughs> but if you're interested to see what we're knocking back as we watch ball games, follow us on Untapped. I'm at JakeE4025. Scott is at MAGN8606. And Zach, do we get to stalk you and your drinking habits online? Uh <laughs> I think I was on untapped maybe in like 2014. I haven't checked in in a very long time though. So no, unfortunately bird's eye view is going to be the only place that uh, you can find out uh, what I'm drinking. All right. Next time you're back, I need an update. (laughs) You got it. With that, let's go ahead and see what's going on this week in the medical wing. All right, Zach, we've got just a couple of guys in the medical wing this week. Let's start with Anthony Santander, who was day-to-day and was held out of Monday's lineup with some left ankle soreness. The real question, of course, is whether he can stay off the IL or whether we'll be seeing him go down and the return of the likes of Ryan McKenna. What do you think? Is he destined uh, for a trip to the IL, or is this something he can force his way through? It kind of seems that way. Um, it, it sure seems like we're trending in that direction. Didn't like to hear the news on Monday that uh, that he was held out of the lineup. I feel like they're doing everything they can to avoid that at this point, but uh, I'm sort of wondering if they'd be better off, um, you know, just putting him on the list to, to help him rest this injury and, and hopefully get it back. You're not going to, you know, get it back to 100%, but I feel like we continue to hear that he's not there. Um, he's, you know, stuck in this slump right now and you can tell that he's uncomfortable. Uh, he was what one for 11 over a three game set. He's five for 40, 14 strikeouts and a walk over his last 11 games. Maybe he'd be better suited for a a trip to the IL. What do you think? I just don't see why you wouldn't do it. It doesn't make sense for either the player or the organization to risk a longer or additional injury, both because Santander wants to perform and because the Orioles would love to have a trade chip. Also, why risk Santander getting hurt on a club this bad? Totally. He's not going to be the difference between wins and losses this year. But what do I know? I just talk about the Orioles on the internet. <laughs> Next, we've got the dead fish himself, Cesar Valdez, on the 10-day IL with a lower back strain. And, uh, okay, whatever. I mean, <laughs> it, it, is this a loss? Uh, I mean, do we need this guy as a closer or a high-leverage reliever? Not really these days, right? 
Yeah, I was talking to a, a coworker of mine who was asking me about this injury, and and he mentioned the closer thing, right? Oh, it's tough when your closer's on uh, on the IL, and I'm like, well, do the Orioles need a closer at this point, like at, at all, right? Is that that's really not something I've concerned myself too much with? Um, hey, Valdez is a guy t- gave up two runs, three hits, a walk. Uh, he struck out one in an inning during Sunday's latest loss for the Orioles, so. Uh, another one that uh, t- tough to see. Obviously, you don't want these guys injured, but let's let's let them get right. You know, let, there's there's no use in in rushing a guy back. Absolutely right. All right, the one that does hurt me a little bit is Bruce Zimmerman, who's on the 10 day IL with left biceps tendonitis. Uh, this is a case where I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Zimmerman throw as often as possible so that we can determine whether we've got something there or we don't. I don't think Zimmerman's going to be the next John Means, but if we can steal the major league talent out of the guy, out of a guy like Bruce Zimmerman, uh, particularly with what we've got coming up in the minors, that would be a coup. So, I mean, I look forward to seeing this guy get back to full strength so that we can uh, see him pitch at the major league level again. Uh, But, you know, just like Santander, there's no rush uh, to the point of risk to get a guy like that back right now. Yep, absolutely. I'm with you. All right, the only other residents of the medical wing are the rest of us who have to watch the Baltimore Orioles, and hopefully it'll stay that way. Uh, not the broken hearts thing, the, uh, the healthy players thing. <laughs> Do we have a hit yet? Oh, in tonight's game? I, I don't know. Speaking of broken hearted, we, we are still hitless. Well, you know, here on Monday night against the Houston Astros, I gave up on the game while, you know, it was still a no-hitter. So who knows from here what's going to happen. Still a no-hitter. Bottom of the seventh, yeah, still a no-hitter. So I'm feeling brokenhearted as well. Well, there's there's only one thing for a broken heart, and that's to gaze into the void of the Internet. We do that at 280 characters or fewer on This Week on the Twitters. I want to start with a tweet from Joe Trezza, who, of course, tweets at Joe Trez. According to the Orioles, he tweets, Trey Mancini is the team's fastest player to a career 100 home runs in 531 games since the team moved to Baltimore. Now, all I can say about this is what a great story Trey Mancini is. It's clear the dude can hit, and it's wonderful to see him back doing it. You also have to start wondering to yourself, if this player hadn't been robbed of a full season because of illness, or even if there hadn't been a COVID-shortened season, how might he be performing? What might his numbers look like? Uh, But forever, however long we've got him here in Baltimore... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he is a fun player to watch and an easy guy to root for. Yeah, I mean, definitely comeback player of the year, right? Like, I think he was the comeback player of the year the the second he uh, he stepped foot into the batter's box this year. An amazing story. Uh, I was fortunate enough to to go to Sarasota and, and see him hit a home run and see the crowd go absolutely crazy. Um, really cool moment and and one of those few kind of spring training moments that's actually really special. Um, does this surprise you? This is, I mean, this is awesome and we know how good Mancini is, but, but is this surprising to you that he's the team's fastest player to get to a hundred home runs? It was a little surprising to me. Yeah, that did creep up on me. And, and, you know, I, I wondered, is this just a sign of the times, you know, the, the three true outcomes is, is this something unique to this era or is it just that the dude can mash? I don't know. You look at a franchise like this, at a storied franchise like the Orioles and, and the way that the game has changed from 19, uh, 1954 to now, I would argue that the Orioles, I don't know, missed out on, say, 14 years of <laughs> modern, competent offensive baseball. Fair point. <laughs> and so maybe when it's high-octane offense that we're talking about, it's not so surprising that a more recent player is the one that's racing to 100 home runs. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I guess I think back to our, our golden era, right? When we were, uh, when we were seeing playoff teams and seeing guys just absolutely mash. Um, but, uh, but, but I don't know, I guess, I guess it makes, I think it's a combination of all those things you said. Uh, I, I totally think it's, um, you know, uh, the part of it is definitely three true outcomes, um, but this is great. I mean, it's, it's another part of the uh, amazing story that is Trey Mancini. So I'm here for it and glad to see it. All right. What else do we have on the Twitters this week? Oh man, were you, where were you when Relish finally broke through and uh, and came up with the victory? So this one is from at Orioles on the Twitters. Today was the day. Remember where you were, Relish fans. And here's a an embedded video of some crazy fool being 
poured out of a Home Depot bucket relish all over him, finally getting that victory. So where were you, Jake? I mean, was this as big of a deal to you? Did did you celebrate by uh, getting relish poured all over your face as well? Whew, there is so much to unpack here. Oh, okay, first, let's get a few things straight. Uh, number one, ketchup on a hot dog is the only, only correct answer. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Second, I object to this video on so many levels. I, I took my 10-year-old son to not one but two baseball games in Baltimore that were, were so hot that we could, we could have died, he said overdramatically. Uh, it was so hot we could have died, and could I bring uh, a bottle of water uh, uh, with which to cool ourselves? No. 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 So how did these guys get a Home Depot bucket of relish into the stadium and i can't even bring in a bottle of water how does that work it's almost like the team planned it no (laughs) second of all why would they have picked today now they have nothing they've got nothing they have a terrible team and there's no more relish suspense i was rooting for them to keep the streak alive look like let it go let it go the entire year if if that's what it needs to be it was fun it was building up to to be this thing like you said in a time where the team is is really tough to watch and was a thing that people were talking about having fun with and uh and now we don't have that thing i mean the the streak is over and now we don't have that thing yeah, I, I would have had Relish lose every game until the last possible day where if they didn't win, they would have been eliminated, you know, just like the Orioles. And, and then have them win every day until the final game of the season, and, and that would have been the true source of anxiety. You know, will Relish pull out a win? We'll never know. <laughs> yeah, a little fan appreciation night. Relish finally pulls out a victory. There you go. This is the worst. <laughs> All right, next we're going to go to a tweet from Nathan Ruiz, who tweets at Nathan Ruiz. Cedric Mullins, MLB ranks among center fielders. Uh, This was all as of June 19th. OPS, first. Extra base hits, first. Average, first. Slugging, first. OBP, well, second, but by a thousandth of a percentage. Outs above average, first. The hashtag Orioles legitimately have the best center fielder in baseball. And what I liked about all this was not just the fact that those were true facts, but that this was good for, uh, let me see, let me just crunch the numbers. I guess ninth in (laughs) AL All-Star voting. And I just... Moving up, too. I can't. I I just can't understand why he's not getting more love from baseball at large. I mean, I know that he plays from the Orioles, and yes, that explains much. But he's just, he's far and away having such a great season that I can't believe that he's not getting more attention than this. Now, I heard you and Scott talking about this last week, and and I, you know, I think the comparison you guys made with the Kansas City Royals absolutely stacking uh, their their roster um, is a is a fair one. I I don't know. I guess I've always, uh, you know, I am certainly following the Orioles less than uh, than I have in in years past. Um, you know, just being completely transparent here uh how many times zach you don't understand there's a chance for a no hitter every night (laughs) that's true that's true how many times have i voted the all-star game i'm a little embarrassed to say uh even though it's it's my all-time favorite team it's a very low number um i don't know man i i just think stacking up against these big markets i understand what you're what you guys are saying about the royals and kansas city but I, I don't think there's a ton of passion there, and I think that uh, that the, what you guys were saying about New York and Boston, their fans getting on there and voting the however many times a day you can vote every single day for all their guys. Uh, I'm I'm ready to I'm I'm like uh, Joe Paparata, uh, who who is all out on uh, fans voting for the All Star Game. Uh, I, I'm pretty much there at this point. I I know it's for the fans, but. Don't you want to see the best players out there starting? I mean, isn't that what we want to see? Change it up, man. Let let the players decide. Let the writers decide. Let somebody else decide. Um, but I I think I'm out on the fans voting for the All Stars. You know, it used to be on trains that they gave access to the brakes to the general public. There used to be that emergency brake on trains where you pull the cord and it would engage the brakes, and and that yeah. is crazy. It's just it's just crazy. And I look at the All-Star game, it's the same sort of thing. We're giving (laughs) 
access to the brakes to the general public. And I know these people. They do not deserve the brakes. I'm with you. I like that comparison. Did I say Joe's last name right? Now that now I'm like thinking too. It's Joe Papa on Twitter, so I'm just going to go with that. You know, around these parts, we uh, we always look forward to angry emails. So Joe Papa, if we've gotten it wrong, feel free to send us an angry email. Our last tweet comes to us from John Mioli. You really should be following him on Twitter, at John Mioli. He tweets, Keegan Aiken stranded two with a strikeout looking. Then, umpires checked his glove, belt, forearm, etc. He appears to have passed. Hashtag Orioles. This, of course, is in reference to the new protocol, where the umpires will inspect pitchers uh, both at random and upon request, uh, starters and relievers. So, what do you think of this new episode of CSI Baseball? Well, first of all, this seemed very random, didn't it? Uh, a, a very random selection here for uh, for Aiken to get picked on like that. Um, what do I think? I think that uh, baseball kind of created a problem, and now they're uh, creating a solution to that problem that um, is going to frustrate people even more than the problem. Um, I know Scott was saying last week that that he thought this wasn't a big deal, and, and I kind of agree. I, I think it's blown up. Uh, into a bigger deal than it actually is. I do think that it's something that um, baseball should have enforced or should have come up with a policy. I I tend to be one of these guys that's like, why is the ball so messed up? Like, what? Why in in baseball? Why is the baseball so terrible? I I don't understand that. And and you talk to these guys who come up for the minor leagues and talk about how slick the baseball is compared to what they're pitching in the minors. This doesn't seem to be a problem in Japan or Korea. We've heard Buck Showalter talk about the the tacky ball. Fix the freaking baseball, man. Like like that's the solution to this problem. And then and then you can go out and enforce these things. Um, as far as as far as Aiken goes, I kind of laugh about uh, about this happening. I think we're going to continue to, uh, you know, be frustrated or laugh about seeing umpires and their their random checks. But this is on MLB, man. You got to fix the ball. My question is this. What is it about river mud that's so slick? No, actually, no, my question is this. Is this a topic of conversation in markets where the team is not terrible? <laughs> I think it is, man. I think, and and this is you know my favorite sport, full disclosure. But why why is there always some controversy that's that's like the biggest story? And and like why why aren't we talking about Shohei Otani as opposed to you know pitchers using boiled coke to get a, a sticky grip on on the baseball? Like I, I don't know. I love this game, but man, they they love their controversies, don't they? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And, and the thing is, is that this is a sport of narratives, right? It's a sport of stories. And yet we choose the crappy stories <laughs> instead of uh, the beautiful ones to follow. And with that, let's choose to dive down into those crappy stories. We'll take a quick break, and then Zach Wilt and I will go around the bases. All right, Zach, we've got to do it. Let's go around the bases. As uh, makes most sense, we're going to go ahead and start with first base. And at first base, we've got Saturday's baseball game. Do we have to? Saturday's game was a, let's call it a special kind of unpleasant. Um, Well, I know that we're watching a less than competent Orioles baseball team (laughs) this year. I know that we've, we've watched our fair share of stinkers, but this one just blew the others away. Here... Here's the thing about uh, Saturday's game. Every every morning, my kid gets up and he watches the highlights of the previous night's game. Um, he, he brings it up on, on YouTube. Um, and it's a condensed version of the game with both the team's broadcasts and the major plays of the game. And just watching that put my teeth on edge. It was just <laughs> unpleasant. So, so let's dive in uh, to the game itself. Saturday should have been a great story. The Orioles had six home runs, and in fact, their their first six hits Crazy. were all home runs. And how many games 
start with a story <laughs> like that and end with um, with devastation. End with something like this. <laughs> Cedric Mullins and Ryan Mountcastle each had multi-home run games. Mullins had two. Mountcastle had three. I mean, they let the Blue Jays hang around a little bit, but the Orioles took a 7-4 lead into the ninth inning and had the Jays down their final strike. So, of course, you know, Paul Fry walks in a run and then lets the tying run <laughs> score on a blue pit that Anthony Santander couldn't uh, gimp his way over to yeah. collect. And they eventually ended up giving up six runs in the ninth inning, and that's just... That's inexcusably bad. It's inexcusably bad. It, it's also just one of these gut-wrenching losses during during a really tough season, right? When, when you get to a point where you're, uh, where you're, a, you know, a pitch away from from a victory and and a pretty lopsided victory, right? And and completely blowing it. You know, it's bad. I mean, that oh, for that, somebody, it was a lopsided victory on Saturday. <laughs> You know, it's uh, I always know things are going bad when you see uh, so the the Bobachet uh, uh, at bat fouling off seven pitches in a row. Right. That's when, you know, things are not going right. That that that's the first red flag. And I feel like we've seen that over the years with the Orioles, where these guys just hang in and hang in and hang in. And then ultimately uh, disaster strikes and. This was this was a gut wrenching one. This is one, it, you know, the Orioles. I, I hesitate to say the Orioles, you know, need this victory right now, right? But w- when one feels so certain and it's taken away from you in in such terrible fashion, it uh, it stings a little bit more than the losses that we experience night in and night out. All right. Um, full disclosure here. I'm um, I'm really disappointed that this didn't happen on <laughs> Sunday. I mean, we already have the Mother's Day Me massacre, too. and do. it really would have been a, just a perfect bookend for this experience because, you know, the Mother's Day massacre happened in, what, 09 um, or something that like that? That sounds right. One of those, yeah. you know, lost seasons yeah. that didn't matter, <laughs> right? And uh, it was one of those gut-wrenching uh, games, and everybody uh, got up in arms about it. But here, here was another game against uh, an AL East foe, and, well, you know, womp, womp. <laughs> they couldn't have landed it on you know, another faux holiday. Instead, I mean, Saturday was my little brother's birthday, my youngest brother's 20th birthday, and and still, you know, not a big enough deal that people will be talking about this for <laughs> ages to come. You know, I'd just like to round up and call this the Father's Day, I don't know, something that starts with F. I, That's I what know. I was going to ask. Yeah, what would, what, would we, uh, what would we have called it? Mother's yeah, Day know. Massacre just, I mean, that works so yeah, well. Yeah, r- rolls off the tongue. Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Bird's eye view listener, you know, singular. Uh, let us know what should we call this thing, this uh, Father's Day, I don't know, Father's Day fiasco. <laughs> there you I, go. I don't That's know. But let us know what you think. You know, you say, gosh, this, uh, this feels like a must-win game. I know it's not, but it would have been really good to get a win. But it was one of those games that reminded me that it's like, oh, oh yeah, this team can still hurt me. <laughs> yes. Th- really, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. It, it it stung more than the uh, than the than say the loss we're experiencing tonight. Right, right, right. You know, tonight's game is just a a casual run of the mill <laughs> loss, right? I also feel like, and and maybe it's my imagination, but let me digress for a moment here. Doesn't it feel like the Astros always have our number? I feel like you know, even in those good Showalter years, we get into Houston and do some like strikeout fifteen times, or you know, something absurd would happen. And and even with those good teams. Um, you know, it just seems like performing well against the Houston Astros is not a thing that the Orioles are committed to doing as an organization. <laughs> there's always, yeah, there's always that team that it, for some reason, and whether they're good or bad, and I mean, the Astros are a good team, but that, uh, that your, your team just can't seem to beat. And, um, yeah, I think the Astros are, uh, are, are one of several for the Orioles on, on that list this year. Yeah, that's right. They have 29 teams that fit into that category. <laughs> All right, one team. Uh, let's head into second base at this point. Uh, one team that probably is not on that list is the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, the Diamondbacks, I mean, you have to feel bad for their fans at this point. Uh, this isn't uh, recent. I haven't looked it up uh, since I read this. But at one point this week, they had lost something like 40 out of 45 games. Um, they have this low uh, road loss streak that's just you know becoming its own story. Uh, let me ask you this: What are your feelings on the Diamondbacks? Are you glad that there's another team out there that 
represents the metric of terrible, or are you annoyed that the Orioles aren't guaranteed a first overall pick? I'm one of these people where if I'm going to suffer through this tough of a season for my team, I want them to be rewarded with the number one pick. So I'm a little frustrated that the Diamondbacks have a winning percentage below 300 last time I looked. Um, and, and that that's just slightly lower than where my favorite team is because, uh, you know, even though and I'm certainly no draft expert, you know, even, even though this draft class may not be as potentially strong as some of the ones uh, in, in recent history, you're always in a better spot drafting first. Right. And, and I feel like that's what I, uh, that that's what the Orioles deserve <laughs> this year is uh, after, after dealing with this stuff of a season is, is to get that pick. Where are you on this? Are you glad they're not in the absolute cellar or uh, would you prefer them to be? Well, let me just say that with as most things, I'm not an expert in the MLB draft. I feel like the MLB draft is a more complex thing than most sports dra- uh, Very much drafts. So. And, and because of that, uh, and because of the fact that I'm an idiot, <laughs> you should take what I have to say with a mountain of salt. That having been said, I feel like if you're picking in the top five, you're going to be fine. No matter what, even in the thinnest of draft classes, and and remember, we're t- we're not talking about this year's draft. We're, we that's already been set by last year's performance. We're talking about the twenty two draft here. Even in the thinnest of classes, you should be able right. to find a player that's yep. going to matter for you. Yep. And that was the thing that was so frustrating about the Orioles during the dark ages. They were consistently picking at or near the top, and they were still managing to strike out, which shows that uh, you know it was a problem with the talent right. evaluation. It was a uh, problem with their development program, they managed to take a sure thing like Brian Mattis and fail <laughs> with him. Yeah, and and I I have more faith in the Elias regime uh, to be able to select someone in the top five or six slots in the draft and to be able to find a player who's going to move the needle and more importantly not to screw him up as he makes his way through the system. And you know maybe my view turns out to be overenthusiastic <laughs> or overconfident, yeah. but I feel like you're probably in the bonus if you're drafting as high as the Orioles are. The other thing that I would say right now about this moment is that COVID has really screwed up the baseball process. <laughs> you know that everybody had a year off or a weird year, and we're just now getting back into the swing of things. And so it's one thing to talk about how uh, major league players are adjusting, right? But when it comes to the draft, we're talking about scouts checking in on high school students or college or JUCO players they don't have all the things that major leaguers have. Yes. We have no idea how the realities of this world have affected them and impacted their development. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I kind of feel like we need to just give this whole period uh, a mulligan and say, look, we did the best that we could with the information that we had. And I think it really brings down the stakes uh, of whether or not you have the first overall pick. And maybe that's a crappy way to look at it, and I'm an idiot, but that's where I fall on this one. No, I I think that's fair. I, I mean, I I think, you know, um, I I hadn't thought about the impact of COVID from that angle. What we did, uh, the last podcast I recorded, Jake, was a uh, MLB prediction show. Uh, so I remember that tells you how long it's been since I've uh, sat behind a microphone. Um, but no, we we talked a lot about how I mean, in, in a lot of ways, this year is so hard to predict. Um, you know, we were hearing these reports from from general managers saying that they were terrified to see what it was going to be like as far as injuries go from just a workload, um, you know, a workload perspective amping up from the weird year that was last year. Um, and, yeah, when you when you add those same factors to scouting, especially guys, uh, you know, at the at the high school level. There's so many, so many question marks. So I, th- I think that's a fair point, and and I think that, you know, I think we'll see kind of the the repercussions of this this weird time that we're in um, for a long time down the road. You know, when when the guys that are are being drafted in the 2022 draft uh, finally make their way up to the majors, I bet we'll still kind of talk about that storyline and how uh, it impacted their development because it's going to be a strange time. You know, the other thing is that the Orioles have a lot of money to work with, uh, you know, in, in the pool. So whether or not they're number one, I don't know, maybe they do their damage in rounds two through five, and that's where they make their impact. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not terribly worried about it, but, you know, again, that's, that's just me. 
I also think the Diamondbacks are going to end up being a little bit better than they've been so far. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure I'm totally uh, believing that the Orioles are going to be much better than they've been, but I think the Diamondbacks are going to be a little bit better than they've been. I don't I don't know. You know, you mean by like sheer force of numbers and <laughs> by, yes, by sheer force of numbers. All right, let's depart second base and head over to third. I want to talk about the new Mike Wright, and by that, of course, I mean I want to talk about the current Sean Armstrong. Sean Armstrong uh, said some things that Rockabaca reported in a recent blog that I found to be incredibly interesting, and I wanted to get your take on as to whether or not I'm making mountains and molehills or whether there's something there. Of course, you can find the entire blog at School of Rock on MassInSports.com from June 16th. Uh, but the quotes from Sean Armstrong talked about, you know, wanting to be here with the Orioles because he knew everybody and he felt like he had a good chance to make it back to the majors here and, you know, whether or not that's the case because the Orioles are thinner on pitching depth than, you know, 29 other clubs is is completely beside the point. But he did say uh, something that I thought that was interesting, and that was his discussion of the analytics and the analysis that was available to him um, as those being tools that, that were a standout to help him get back to the majors. And you know, it seemed like he had a lot of statistics uh, right there available to him in his fingertips. You know, like, oh, I was fourth in the league last year in this category or that. And he talked about those tools, you know, straight from biomechanics, sabermetrics, um, in a way that made it clear that that was part of the vocabulary that Holt and his staff use with the pitching staff, you know, at multiple levels of the organization. And I found that to be impressive. Um, and I do hope that that's the kind of thing that is a differentiator for the Orioles, not only for developing major league talent, uh, but also in being attractive to the point where players want to come here. Um, Zach, am I, am I blowing smoke or is this a sign of things that we didn't necessarily have uh, during the dark ages? Well, if you are blowing smoke, sign me up because I feel the same way. I, I This is the type of thing that, and I know I've kind of been Debbie Downer because, you know, the Orioles aren't winning a whole lot of baseball games, but this is the type of thing that when you're in a rebuild that you want to hear, right, from from guys inside. And this is the type of stuff that we, like, as fans, rarely get a peek into. Um, so when we do, it's like I'm, like, extra excited to to hear about this kind of stuff because you don't – know a lot about uh what goes on behind the scenes as far as analytics and and really um hearing him talk about the relationship with the analytical staff and the pitching staff is so huge because we know that teams uh over how whatever time period have become more analytically savvy even the orioles who were who were slow adopters have have obviously uh jumped headfirst into the deep end on this stuff and and that's hugely important that's the only way uh you know to find that competitive advantage right now but to me the relationship between those guys and the players and the coaches the the entire staff um that you know fusing those two sides together is what's really important and and really uh you can have all the information in the world but if that information's not getting to these guys and if they don't think that it's important um, it's never going to work. So getting a, a peek behind the curtain and and reading these quotes and hearing those types of things, uh, that's exciting. That 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 uh, is something that you want to hear when you look at the timeline and think, you know, the Orioles are still a couple years away, but these are the types of things that they need to be doing to uh, to get to that place, to become a contender, to to be playing October baseball again. Well, and if you can use these things to make Sean Armstrong a little bit better, I mean, imagine what it can do for DL Hall. Yep. Imagine yeah. what it can do for uh, uh, Grayson Rodriguez. Yes. yes, absolutely. Yeah, so that's huge. That's huge. I was excited to read that. It's a good piece. Okay, let's round third and head into home. And Zach, I want to talk about you. Oh, really? I want this Why? to get personal here. I have, the, um, <laughs> I have the advantage or disadvantage, depending on how you look at it, of rooting for my hometown team here in the land of pleasant living, uh, no farther from, from say, uh, 25 miles from the stadium my entire life. And rooting for the Baltimore Orioles here in the state of Maryland has, shall we say, its, its ups and its downs. But you, <laughs> you moved from Maryland. You are now a resident of the state of Florida. And so I'm curious, what is it like rooting for the team in absentia out of town? Yeah, it's a very different experience. Um, I am, because I am, uh, I'm in Orlando, so right in the middle of Florida. Um, and I'm in an, an area where uh, you have a lot of people who uh, were not born and raised here. So they're from all over, right? So you run into fans of all sorts of different teams. And um, I was 
I took my uh, my daughter to the park last week. Uh, one and a half year old walking around the park. I'm wearing my Orioles cap, and uh, one of the guys that works at the park stopped me and was like, "Hey, from Baltimore," and we were just talking about the Orioles. And he'd been down in the here for you know 25 years, but was just talking about the teams in the 70s and 80s, and uh, you know why not and 83 champs and all those types of things. And, and, you know, we were just kind of reminiscing about, um, you know, some of the things that we missed, right. I, I, I miss Camden Yards so much. Like I, it's, uh, I, I've, I've been down here six years and, uh, was able to get to a game this year, um, before everything kind of went back to normal. We were talking about that before we started rolling. So, um, it was so great to be back and it was so Great to see uh, some of those subtle changes that have been made over the last five or six years in that stadium to continue to keep it modern, to continue to make it the best stadium that I've ever been to. And I haven't been to all 30, but it's uh, it's still, um, you know, my my favorite place to go. I, I totally miss that. Um, you know, I miss uh, – uh, I know a lot's changed, but I miss being able to turn on the TV and watch the Orioles. I, I MLB TV with the same uh, um, four commercials. Every commercial break gets a gets a little tough. Uh, I know pre and post game show is is certainly a lot different than it used to be when I was up in Baltimore um, six years ago. But you know I, I I miss that aspect of it. And then um, just not being entrenched in it locally, I feel like I run into a lot more casual uh, baseball fans, which is fine because. I'm a casual fan of hockey and a little more casual fan of, of football, but um, you know, it, you, you run into people who, uh, who know you're, you're a fan that tunes in pretty often and they'll say things like, Oh yeah, man, tough, tough game last night. Right. And it's, of course it's, it's been a tough season for the Orioles, but tough game last night. Right. And I try explaining even the, even the best teams are going to lose a third of their games, you know, really good teams are going to lose even more than that. Um, so you run into a lot more casual fans. So I miss those uh, conversations with people that uh, like yourself are, are tuned in night in and night out. So it's different. I try to get to the trap every year to watch the Orioles when they're, um, when they're in Tampa uh, and when they're playing the Rays, it's a bummer because I'm blocked out. So I can't watch any of those games. So um, can I just interrupt for a second? Yeah, I, I want to ask you. I want to ask you about the trop. See, on TV, it seems like the trop is the the best minor league baseball stadium <laughs> in all of the majors. Um, is that true, or is that an unfair statement? I think the trop. Uh, I think overall, I think the trop is better than people say that it that it is. I think the food there is great. Uh, I think the the building itself deserves all of the criticism that that it gets i mean it's it's a ter- it's a terrible building right it's it's ugly and inside is uh very old and it doesn't feel like baseball with that said uh, you do need a dome to play in tampa so i'm, I'm all for that maybe a retractable roof yeah but it's um, it's a building that they built specifically to attract <laughs> baseball right like that was the whole it, reason they built it. it well and and that's kind of unfathomable that i don't understand um, but, but it, it gets, uh, you know, it gets picked on a lot. It, the, I think the Rays are doing the absolute best that they can with the trap. That, that's what I always tell people. I, I think, I think that place, uh, w- with a different organization could be a lot worse and it's not great, uh, but it could be a lot worse. Um, uh, with that said, it gives me, a, a, an even greater appreciation for Camden Yards. Uh, the, the, you know, my, my hometown park, the place that, I miss so much and, and was going, I mean, I, you know, I would go to 15, 20, 25 games when, um, when I was living in Baltimore and, uh, you know, suddenly if I, if I make it to the trap, you know, three, four times a year, that's great. And I, I always try to go to Sarasota. I've, I've made it to Sarasota uh, with the exception of last year. My, my trip was canceled abruptly a week before, obviously with the world, uh, being a completely different place, but, um, Sarasota is beautiful. I, I love taking trips there and doing spring training, but I definitely miss, uh, miss the atmosphere of, of watching my hometown team live at, uh, at an amazing stadium. That's what I miss the most. Is the community aspect online, uh, different or, or more meaningful? You know, it's, it's interesting because in the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years, I guess my engagement with the team has, has really changed you know, the, the online component, you know, uh, engaging with other fans and the team itself has, has shifted to online. 
but I would think not being local that it might be become even more important. Is that the case? No, I think I you know I think um, specifically Twitter has helped uh, that that connection. Um, and if you look at my Twitter feed, you're probably thinking, "What is he talking about?" Because 99% of my Twitter use is now reading Twitter and not engaging. Um, and and that's you know that's just kind of how I've uh, I've used social media over the last six years compared to uh, the way that I used it you know the previous four or five. Um, but that that is helpful. Uh, that does make you feel um, you know a little bit more connected. I'm grateful for that aspect of it. Um, but I think being out of town is is tough. It doesn't make me, uh, you know, see any of the any of the teams here. I mean, baseball's not even on the table. But even the the teams that I'm a little more casual with, the hometown teams that I root for, being you know Ravens and Capitals, doesn't make me uh, think, oh, maybe you know, maybe the Bucks or uh, maybe the Lightning, who are you know obviously uh, have been awesome since I've been down here. Um, doesn't doesn't make me want to do that. I do know people who have who have made that change because they do want to root for a, a, some local team. Um, I have been to a few Magic games. I know people are loving the NBA. I'm just not a huge NBA guy. Um, and, and maybe that'll change because it seems like an amazing product that continues to get better and better. Not that the Magic are, but it seems like a great league <laughs> that continues to get better and better. Um, so maybe I'll embrace that as a hometown team. But uh, yeah, I I certainly miss that aspect of uh, of the the team you root for being close by. Now, when you say hockey, is that the one they play on horseback, or is that the one <laughs> they play in the pool? Because I I always get that confused. Yeah, frozen pool, frozen pool. Yeah. Ah, I see, I see. Well, it's interesting, you know. And we've talked to Matt Taylor uh, from the Roar of Thirty Four down in Nashville. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe the Orioles will uh, come down to him someday. Oh, uh, don't say that. <laughs> but I'm always interested to hear the experience of the out-of-town fan because, you know, I think first it's one of those things that we use as a as a differentiator. You know, when you're away from home, uh, to to kind of connect you back to the place that you can come from. You know, can connect you back to your community. But but yeah. I think it's also yeah. something that we hear. Um, at home, you know, take for granted until we're in an out of town situation. So I, I appreciate the insight. Thank you. Especially Camden Yards. Yeah, don't. I mean, I, I know the product right on the field is tough, and we we spent a ton of time talking about that. But man, Camden Yards. Don't don't ever take Camden Yards for granted because it's yeah, it's a special place. You know, I saw something this past week that just made my my stomach turn. Uh, it was an advertisement for one of the concerts that they're doing at Camden Yards this summer because they're they're doing live music at the ballpark now. Um, but yes. the band that uh, was advertising said that they were going to play at historic Camden Yards. <laughs> I was like, woof. The stadium that opened when I was 10 is now being referred to as historic. And uh, yeah, that, that made me feel awful. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That That's wild to me. I, I always, uh, I, I go through that exercise when I look at, um, the teams that are getting all-star games, right? Um, and, you know, I know baseball's got their, their grudge with the Orioles and they continue to be glossed over. And uh, that to me, that's just a shame because Camden Yards is just, uh, would be a beautiful host to um, the Midsummer Classic. And whenever that finally comes around, uh, I think that, you know, the brass in charge at MLB will will see that there was a mistake to wait that long. But, you know, back to your point, I, I look at these stadiums that are, are getting all-star games. And, uh, you know, when when was Atlanta's stadium built? Their first stadium was built for the Olympics uh, in 96. And now they've got, they've got another stadium. And it's wild. Yeah, it's, it's wild that Camden Yards is considered historic at this point. And, I, and to their credit, man, I think they've, they've done a, a great job of, of keeping it modern as somebody who hadn't been there in a few years and went back. I was really impressed with some of the things, little things that they had done to really keep it modern. I think the only thing that they probably wish they would be able to do is the open concourse thing. Um, you know, that's, that's the only thing I've seen in some of these newer ballparks that I wish we could bring in the Camden Yards, but I don't think I would sacrifice anything from Camden Yards to add that aspect to, uh, to that stadium. Yeah. Maybe a little less relish. <laughs> <laughs> maybe who needs buckets of it not me all right let's leave it there and let's see who won last week's fantasy boss 
Uh, it's Scotty's music, and you know what that means. It means that somehow, some way, Scott pulled out a victory in, past, in this past week's Fantasy Boss. Yep, Scott intelligently took the under on wins that I foolishly set at 1.5. The Orioles, of course, did not manage to exceed 1.5 wins over the last week, and so that tightens the Fantasy Boss contest for the season to the score of 5-4 to four in my favor. So, Scott, I... I congratulate you in your absence, and what I'm going to do now is have Zach pick the category in your place this week, and if you don't like it, well, pal, you can show up to work. No, I, I kid, I kid. Scott is actually traveling for work, and this is a dumb, dumb hobby. So, Zach, what category would you like us to look at this week? I will be picking for myself, and you will be picking on behalf of Scott. All right. Uh, can we get? Can we just go with dingers? Right? Can we go with? Can we go with home runs? I mean, it, even even in a terrible uh, loss on Saturday, the Orioles still managed to mash six of them. Right. So let's let's go with home runs. At least we'll at least next week when Scott's back, you guys will have something positive to talk about home runs. No matter what, how many games they end up winning, at least you'll have something good to talk about. And so, yes, yes, first and foremost, of course, dongs are always on the menu here at Bird's Eye View. Uh, but I will say that if we pick home runs uh, because nothing is going well, then when we go ahead and pick our players, players that, that we think will perform <laughs> well, uh, just despite us, the universe will ensure that those two players are out homered by the likes of you know, Stevie Wilkerson, Pat Vlaika, <laughs> you know, the, the big hitters. So that's just the way it works for us. So, sure, sure. We'll we'll be looking at homers this week, and uh, so clearly the the chalk picks are Trey Mancini, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, and maybe Cedric Mullins. Uh, actually, is um is there a chance that Cedric Mullins is leading the team in homers by now? Uh, looks like Mancini's uh, got one more than Mullins. Okay, all right, yeah. so he's uh, he's near the top. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm actually going to go with Cedric Mullins just because he seems to be impacted uh, the least, uh, or, or at least by the fewest slumps. All right. Fair. Fair. I am I'm going to go with Malcastle. I like what Malcastle's done recently. Um are you sure that yes. you wouldn't prefer to take uh Pat Valaika? I feel like if Scott <laughs> were here, he might consider, you know, say one of the catchers. No? No, I can't I can't do Scott wrong like that. Well, I have no such inhibition, <laughs> but uh okay. All right. So the category this week is dingers. Uh, I'm going to go with Cedric Mullins. Zach and Scott are going with Ryan Mountcastle, and so we will see who will own it. And with that, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back to find out who's good, who was bad, and who was ugly this week in Orioles baseball. That's right, it's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started this week, and all right, this this is ridiculous. There are there are probably rules here, but I just, I do not care. Because the chicken salad that I had to watch this past week was not so appetizing, I'm going to throw out the good this week, and I'm going to say that Stevie Wilkerson was was the thing I, I choose to talk about in good. But let's talk about Stevie Wilkerson for just a moment. <laughs> Look, the team is terrible, and Stevie hasn't uh, has been an abomination at the plate, and that that's all good and fine. But he has been really fun to watch defensively, which is, by the way, the reason he is currently on this team. This, after all, is the same player who made that absurd catch out there in right field in Boston a couple of years ago. Um, but it seems like every other game or so, Wilkerson makes a play at second base that puts a smile on my face. We came into this season wondering, remember, if Rio Ruiz could possibly hack it out there in second, and it's, it's just been downhill from there. Wilkerson, on the other hand, he makes nifty double plays, he makes diving stops, he, he had a nice play tonight, which um, I don't think it even ended as an out, but he ranged really far to his left uh, to stop what, what ended up being an infield hit, and that, that caught my attention. So yeah, here in a week, in a season where there isn't much to cheer about, I'm going to say without shame that I enjoyed watching Stevie Wilkerson play defensively at second base, and that is how I choose to take joy out of this baseball team at this moment. So (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> My good for this week is Dr. Poopoo. There. Bye. Bye. Said it. <laughs> Defense doesn't get enough love either. I like that pick. That's great. Uh, I went. I went with more chalk. I, I could have gone with relish actually, had we not spent uh, you know 15 minutes talking about that victory. Uh, <laughs> but no, Ryan Malcastle in his last seven games, four dingers, uh, eight RBI, 608 weighted on base average. That's in 25 plate appearances. Uh, it's been a good week for uh, Ryan Malcastle, so I'm going to give him the good this week. No objection there whatsoever. My bad is going to Paul Fry for not being able to hold the Blue Jays down in that game we talked about earlier. Whoops. Whatever we choose to call that game, it hurt me, it, it wounded me, it made me sad. And so through my tears, I will declare that Paul Fry was bad. <laughs> Can I pick on Matt Harvey? Can we keep doing that? I know we did a lot of that last week. Please, please do. You, after all, are the guest host. You have full license to do that with which Scott and I cannot get away. So, yes, uh, by all means. Two two starts, seven and two-thirds, 15 hits, nine earned runs, four walks, six strikeouts. And you guys talked about it last week. I He's, he's a guy that I, I really I, I root for, right? I mean, good guy. You want to see this turn around, but is just not – starter material at this point you know i mean what do they have to lose making him a starter i i get it at this point in the year but i think it would be so much better served out of the bullpen but has just been bad i, I just have no faith in him as a starter and um just another bad week and you'll get no argument from me there you know we eventually had to retire players from ugly um <laughs> like we were we retired abalo jimenez and i'm oh, pretty sure yeah, that we retired yeah. Uh, Chris Davis from from being ugly. Fair. Matt Harvey is not there yet, but I feel like he's he's on that. Got to be getting close. All right, yeah. so uh, it's ugly time for my ugly this week. Um, I'm just gonna wave vaguely in the direction of Orioles baseball. <laughs> I, I looked at the performances. I looked at the stats from this week's slate of games, and I, I wish that I could tell you that there was a particular player who jumped out at me and made me think, yeah, that guy. That guy was the problem this week. I wish that there was someone that I could look at and say, that performance was just so far beyond the pale, he has to be <laughs> ugly. But i got to be honest, I can't do that. So my ugly this week is Orioles baseball. It was not fun to be an Orioles fan. It was, it was pretty ugly. No, it was a pretty rough week. And I, I'm not going to get too much more specific because I'm going to give it to the entire Orioles starting rotation, who has just been really, really tough to watch. Uh, if you if you like uh, win and loss records, they're 0-5. Uh, and if you don't like that record, uh, they've got a 7.95 ERA in the last seven games. Really, really tough to watch. And if you don't like it, they're still 0-5. <laughs> they're still 0-5. Yeah, yeah, just brutal. Um, starters have been really, really bad. And uh, And one component of that overall bad team that you just pointed to, Jake. Yes, indeed. Well, that's been the good, the bad, and the ugly. We kind of fizzled out there at the end, which is a pretty good metaphor for this team and, and well, the Bird's Eye View podcast itself. So we're going to finish fizzling right out <laughs> and take a moment to blow the save. Well, Zach, I don't think it would be polite in an instance such as this to, to have a show where we invited you to, to come on and talk about the Baltimore Orioles without us rolling out the red carpet for you and giving you the space to blow the save. So in a case that I suspect Scott wishes happened a lot more frequently, I'm just going to shut up and let <laughs> you talk. Wow, thank you. Quite an honor. Um, I appreciate it. So thank you very much. And um, something that has been on my mind since watching uh, a little TV show called WandaVision, a uh, Marvel TV show. I, I asked you beforehand if you had uh, had watched, and you said yes. I've been really enjoying the 
everything coming out of the MCU, specifically the the most recent three TV shows. Um, but WandaVision was airing, you know, when I was still uh, doing my best to tune in every single night to the Orioles and and really entrenched in in Orioles baseball. And the finale got me thinking a lot about uh, the state of the Orioles and how they've changed um, since I followed them recently. So in the finale, uh, spoiler, can I give a spoiler alert? If you, if you don't want to be spoiled by WandaVision, maybe jump forward past uh, Blow the Save here. We have um, said so Vision. many worse things on this show to offend people <laughs> in so many ways that I feel like this is just going to fall well short of people's expectations. We're safe. All right, great, great. Uh, so in, in yeah. the finale, uh, Vision is is fighting a version of himself um, and has a conversation with himself about the ship of Theseus, right? Uh, so this is this is how I learn about uh, Western philosophy is on uh, on TV shows about superheroes. Um, but basically, the the ship of Theseus is, is a uh, is is a thought experiment about if you remove uh, a, a, you know objects from a component. Um, let me just actually let me just read from Wikipedia because that'll be a little more helpful, right? Basically, so. It raises the question of whether an object that has had all of its components replaced remains fundamentally the same object. That's that's from Wikipedia, right? So as I was hearing this case made, it got me thinking a lot about my beloved Baltimore Orioles, right? And and uh, being a diehard fan of a team um, and, and watching that team have uh, some success with some playoff appearances and a, a trip to the ALCS and... Uh, an amazing wild card victory and uh, watching that team succeed and slowly seeing those pieces uh, removed from that team, right? Whether it be some of the players that we knew and loved who, uh, you know, were not signed or uh, traded away, um, you know, uh, retired, however it was that those uh, players were replaced, um, the manager, the front office, even the announcers, Jake, being completely different. Um, it, it's, it fundamentally feels like a different team to me. And I, I hadn't thought of it that way until watching this, this episode and, and thinking about how, you know, they play in the same stadium um, and they wear the same uniform, but fundamentally this is, this is a different team and I'll always root for them and they'll always be my team. Uh, but it just feels very, uh, very different than it did the last time that that they were successful and that I was really entrenched in it. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, I love this conversation so much. First, because, you know, I feel like this is entirely on brand for this podcast to uh, <laughs> drop the discussion of the team and start talking about thought experiments. But let me tell you why this is still the ship of Theseus. Chris Davis. <laughs> I know, but even he on the on the sixty day disabled list makes it seem that like, is the component. Uh, I know he's, he's still on the team. He is still on the team, but that that that's like the that is the last component, isn't it? I mean, that's it. That's it. Well, here's the next piece of that. When will this ship that's uh, currently sinking? I mean, <laughs> that that we are currently watching. When will this ship no longer be the same ship? Yes. Yeah, when question. will the next great Orioles team, for, forget that, when will the next okay <laughs> Orioles team that we get to enjoy yeah. be that team? What pieces and, and how soon will we need you know, to strip them away and, and replace them before we, we're able to say that we root for that team? Yeah. You know, you've given us a lot to think about, and I don't know about the listeners, but I'm going to struggle to get to sleep tonight just thinking <laughs> this all over. And I, and I hope that uh, all of your superhero movie watching brings you just as many Orioles baseball insights because let me tell you what the kind of uh, season <laughs> we're having, this podcast certainly needs them. Everything goes back to baseball, right? It always, always does. And that's our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. And Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show. The guys appreciate the feedback and I encourage others to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at Birdseyeviewbal. 
And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you a fun adieu adieu. And thank you guys for letting me hang out this week. It's been uh, a, a true pleasure to be back uh, behind the microphone chatting with you guys. You guys have been doing this show for nine years. It's truly incredible. I just want to give you uh, a, a round of applause here from behind the microphone. And it's uh, just an honor to uh, be welcomed back and, and talk to you. So thank you. Thank you for putting up with me. Thanks for listening this week. Thanks for stepping in. And all I can say is that your bar is very low. Scotty will be back next week. Have a good one, everybody. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.